It's so hard to create when you're scared. It's, it's really impossible to create anything really great when you're scared. You just can't do it. It's literally like trying to build a table with paint. You know what I mean? It's like you're just taking the wrong tools to the job. <laughs> you know, like I love that thing too. I've, I've thought about this a lot. And I think this is really true about creativity. That idea that like, you know, there's really two parts of create, creating. There's the creating and then the editing. And I think those two really have to be separate because they mess each other up really badly. You know, when you sort of, and I think for me, I'm, I had to remember this morning even, because I've got a bunch of songs I've started, and then I went in and met with Ed, and he was like, let's change some stuff on these, go back and tweak them. And I literally realized this morning, you know what I'm doing wrong, is I gotta let the editing stuff, that can be for later. Right now, I'm still creating. And if I'm trying to do both, it's just gonna screw everything up. Fear. It's something that everyone faces, but in leading the story community, I've discovered that fear has a huge stronghold on creators in general. And while it takes shape in different forms for everyone, I think we're all guilty of bringing the editing into the creative process before we can even get pen to paper. We call ourselves dreamers, but how often do we let go of a dream before we even take the first step towards it because we're already criticizing it? Imagine what could happen if we could freely create and let a dream have its chance before we cut it off. That and so much more on this very entertaining and also hilarious episode of The Story Podcast. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. This week, Kellen Robinson and I sat down with Dave Barnes. I'm a dancer, <laughs> an emotional dancer for money. No, uh, I. Uh, what would that even mean? I don't mean? even know what an emotional dancer is. I, I would love I'm to curious. hear the follow-up question to that one. Yeah, and then they start crying. I cry, and then we connect um, through confusion. No, I. Um, I usually tell them I play music, and then the best part of that, the best part of that, is the follow-up question, which is, and my, one of my favorite quotes in the history of time. Well, would I know who you are? And I'm like, well, I'm sitting right here, so half of that's already answered. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that is like, I mean, you have a guitar and walk through an airport, and if you're not, you know, Justin Timberlake, somebody's going to be like, well, wait now, do I know who you are? And I'm like, there is no more redundant question than that question. <laughs> As you can tell, Dave is more than a musician or even a singer-songwriter. Dave is funny, really funny. And while he has made a career as an artist in his own right, he's also written songs for artists like Blake Shelton, Tim McGraw, Thomas Rhett, and many more. But beyond finding success in the music industry, he has also been dabbling in the world of comedy. He's a true entertainer, and he's spent most of his career finding the balance between the two arts, giving his art away for others to use. And while he's still on an artist's journey, he's pretty confident about how and why he is where he is. I also appreciate the way he thinks about spirituality and his relationship to art. 
one of the things I'm proud of in general about the story community is that spirituality is a topic we've never shied away from. In a world that is becoming increasingly secular, it's refreshing to hear an artist openly speak about the role their faith plays in both their life and creative process. For people of faith, I think it's difficult to separate the two. We're never concerned about diving into those kind of conversations at our annual conference or on this show, and this conversation is no different. Story is a community of creators who care about making meaningful art and telling meaningful stories. And otherwise, what's the point, right? And whether you're a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Christian or you ascribe to another worldview entirely, if you at least care about doing meaningful work and believe in the power that stories have to shape the world around us, I think this conversation and all the conversations we have in the story community will resonate with you. Now that said, let's get back to Dave and his thoughts on this very topic. Should I know who you are? There's like some sort of really, really deep conversation we oh, can go into with sure. that about Which identity I'm like, and do value. I even know do who I even know? <laughs> <laughs> do you know who you are? <laughs> well, how much time do we have? And is it okay if we'll I make cry? it work? Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's that's usually, and then music, and then somebody says, "Well, you know, that that literally that's always a question. Well, I know who you are, and then you have to do the whole like, well, then you say your name, which they never know who I am. So that's never fun. That's a that's a nice little test in humility right there, Dave Barnes." Okay, yeah, I don't... Dave Matthews? No, not, <laughs> not Dave Matthews. Okay. Do you ever feel the need to say, well, if you don't, you may not know my name, Dave Barnes, but have you heard of, and then list off people that you've written songs for? You know, every now and then somebody, every now and then you get somebody who knows kind of the music world a little bit, or they have like a, you know, they kind of speak the language, you can go, oh, well, you know, I have songs that other people have recorded that you may know, and then and then it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Or, or they're like, oh, my brother plays for, you know, why is it always that guy? It's always that guy. <laughs> you know, is that a guitar? Putting up, sitting down. Uh, Where's that guy from? He is probably from Tullahoma. <laughs> or Tullahoma. Corinth, Mississippi. It's really... I don't remember. I even heard of that city. Yeah, I've actually been to Corinth. I've done shows Go there. Go on, yeah. I'm getting there. Um, it's not far from Nashville. No, it's not. So, um, yeah, it's, that's always sort of a fun little game, you know. But but it does like that that that's a great question. Usually, if I sort of follow up, well, have you heard this song or you know whatever, um, they kind of go oh, and then you know either they're is- interested or <laughs> disinterested, yeah. you know, because yeah. I'm not a star. I wasn't expecting to go there right away, but that question, like, do do I know who you are? Let's let's jump in straight to that yeah. identity stuff. So ex- explain to me what it has felt like to have a successful career as Dave Barnes, and then I would imagine so much of your success at least as as an as a profession or as a songwriter has been for these superstar celebrity artists how has that felt you know it's kind of all working into my plan um i was actually thinking about that a lot this morning i was running listening to a tim keller sermon um on uh, ecclesiastes which was i mean you're talking about just a boot to the neck um but just you know him talking about success and and um it's a funny game because it's like when you start chasing that thing as as Solomon or the writer of Ecclesiastes says so well it's you know you just it's just pretty futile you know so I think for me it's been a really fun career because it's like I get to do these things I really love to do um, as best I can without it harming myself or my family you know 
Uh, obviously not physically, <laughs> not like a ninja, uh, but uh, or American gladiator. So. But you know, to, to trying to really protect sort of my um, well-being and you know my wife and kids by not being too gone too much or you know, success is a weight, and I, I think people don't know that. I think it really is. It's a weight that is really hard to sustain. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth when God says he'll give us what we can handle, you know, and no more. And I think sometimes we, we put stuff on there that God's like, see, this wasn't the thing. Cause you know, our, I think our backbones are really frail and we aren't supposed to carry that stuff, you know, like we just can't handle that kind of success. And I think if you look at people, um, in general, um, it's just not, it's people don't do well with it from the healthiest people to the unhealthiest people. It's just, we weren't, we weren't made to withstand it. So I think for me, I was really blessed because I think really early on in my career, I had a couple of conversations with older guys who had, who had seen a lot and lived a lot. And that was really their word of wisdom for me, which is kind of like be really careful about that because it, you know, I saw a counselor in town and he said, you know, Dave, I've met with a lot of people over the last 20 years that are in music and literally nobody has made it through a lot of success without scars. And, uh, and that was that really that really affected me because I was like, you know, I would rather not have scars <laughs> if I can. Yeah. So I've enjoyed that I sort of get to do my version of my career, which is making my music and you know playing shows and and um, having the success that I have for myself, and then you know having songs that other people record and they can go you know um, rock the world, and I get to sort of enjoy it from where I am, which is really fun. And I mean, it's, it's not that it's not a struggle. You know, I think there are times where I can feel like, gosh, man, that would be really fun. But I just think for me, I've just never, that's just never been something I really wanted, you know, that kind of notoriety. Um, so I, re- I love it. I'm so, I was literally thinking about this morning. I was just so thankful that God sort of given me this little thing that I do that has sustained it. So I keep waiting for somebody to like knock on my door and be like, that's enough. That is <laughs> Enough, Dave. <laughs> that is plenty of that. Like they find me out. Like, how have you been able to do this without us? <laughs> Shut it down. You know. Um, but yeah, so I've, I, I really enjoy it. I'm really thankful for it. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the beginning. How yeah. did you get started in music, and where did that like love of music and playing go come from? Yeah. So so I grew up in Mississippi in this really small town called Kosciuszko. Um, it was about 8,000 people when I lived there. And uh, it was a wonderful place to grow up. My dad is a pastor. Um, and uh, and I loved it. And so there was really, it, it, it was, um, there wasn't a lot of uh, culture there that way. You know, it was just a small, really wonderful, safe little Mississippi town. Um, but I do remember kind of in my early teens starting to sort of get into music. I, I played drums in the marching band, and so that kind of led to me playing drum set, which really sort of lit this thing in me that I was like, you know, I started listening to music differently. And we just did, like, we, I think we had one country station in the town, so there really wasn't a lot of music that was coming in that way. So it was just music my dad and mom listened to, which thankfully was, you know, all the great, great Motown, Doobie Brothers, you know, Steely Dan, all that kind of stuff. Um so when we moved, my my dad planted church in Knoxville when I was an upcoming junior, and when we moved to Farragut in Knoxville, I'd played drums, drum set for a while. I met all of a sudden, you know, I, I was at a, I was at a high school of like twenty two hundred people, you know, when my <laughs> it was a third the size <laughs> or a fourth the size of the town I just left, you know, which I loved for my personality. I was like, this is, 
it felt right. It was like movement, you know, energy, all that kind of stuff. So um, when I got there, I met people who played, which I'd never, I literally didn't know that was a thing. I knew, I, you know, I'd put my little cassette, you know, headphones on and play to records and stuff in Mississippi because that was the only kind of community I had to play. It was like recordings. So it's fun to get there and realize, like, oh my gosh, that guy plays guitar, and I was like, oh my god, that's so cool. You know? And then he'd come over, we play like Pearl Jam songs. I'd be like, this is the best thing ever. You know? <laughs> and so, um, so that sort of began this thing. But it was funny because I, I went to MTSU and uh, to study percussion and drum set. And then while I was there, I just kind of within the first really year, I, I, I noticed. And you guys know what this feels like when you kind of feel like you're like, I think I know what it is that I love, and then you start doing it. And you're like. I'm close to it, but this isn't it, you know? Like, I knew it was music, but I was like, it's not playing the drums, because I was the guy on gigs that was like, <laughs> you know, I'd be playing for a band. I'd look over the bass player and be like, you hungry? He'd be like, what? Dude, I'm starving. You know, like, right in the middle of the song. Maybe I'm not into this, I think I am. Um, so, uh, so um, that, I, my my roommate in, uh, in my freshman year had a guitar, and I started to just kind of play, and it came pretty quickly, which was really fun i think a lot of that is drummers i really think drummers if you start playing drums everything else tends to because you can play anything in time and sound good basically and so uh start playing that and that was when i started writing song and it's funny i don't know why i started writing songs but it was just the thing i felt like that was what you needed to do like i didn't try to learn a bunch of guitar stuff i wasn't like you know listening to eric clapton or you know Jimi hendrix i literally just thought okay yeah I, I, I should write songs so i started writing songs even though i'd never really done that and uh and i had friends around me that were really encouraging that were kind of like man this is this is not bad like you should you know and i think it was surprising for all of us because you know that was not in my toolkit you know but i think people were like and i didn't sing at all at all at all i mean none 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 so um you know, I'd have friends that I'd so sheepishly, like, you know, red-faced and embarrassed, kind of sing these little songs for him. And and uh, my best friend <clears throat> uh, is a great singer, and so uh, he would sing these songs. I'd just kind of play them for him, and then we'd do, like, little open mics where he'd sing them, and he and I started writing songs together. And so that was, that was I was like, this is it. That's the thing, this this songwriting thing. And then I loved to perform. I'd, I'd kind of grown up doing, like, you know, skits and improv kind of stuff. So I love being on stage. So it was this fun combination of performing and then creating that was really, really sort of the powder keg. It's sort of like lit, you know. And um, and then um, started doing that in college and really loved it and then moved to Nashville and, you know, fell in with the community of people that do it here and uh, really started my artist, like, playing out kind of halfway through college. And then by the time I got here, really you know got interested in it. i worked for a guy named ed cash for about six months who's a producer in town and really really dear friend of mine and he um he uh had me work for him and i learned a bunch of stuff when i was working there for about half a year and then we made a little ep and then from that ep i you know that was kind of i started touring with words actually uh, it was the first real touring i ever did and we started in january like january of 2002 and uh and i've been doing it ever since so that was kind of the beginning when did you become comfortable with singing like that is a shock oh, to me I'm that you didn't trying. really feel, well you know it's funny yeah i didn't at all i mean oh gosh i really think genuinely for real it took me about a decade like i would say the last five or six years have been like okay i, I kind of know what i'm doing enough to feel comfortable but it was really interesting because i you know when i started i was so uncomfortable doing it that i would 
that I, during shows I would talk a lot because that I was really comfortable being funny. So that was kind of, I would cool myself down and then I'd sing and then I'd sort of have to talk a little more and sort of get control of the room again and then sing. And, and so, um, but it, it took a long time and it was really funny. God's sort of providence, the whole thing, because, you know, I was playing these shows with guys and girls who had sung their whole life trying to sort of like guys like Mark Broussard, who's probably one of the best singers I know. And, you know, I'm opening for him going like, what am I doing here? You know, but just like <laughs> hanging on by the, you know, like by my fingernails to like trying to just, you know, so God was really kind though, because I think just doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it, you know, like the 10,000 hours thing it was finally, you know, after I think about a decade, 10 years into doing, it, I was like, okay, I was late to the party, but I feel like I'm finally sort of arrived a little bit and sort of like feeling enough confidence to go, you know, I'm a singer and I know how to do that and I know kind of what I can and can't do. But it took a long time and it was really like, if I listen to some of those concerts back in the day, it is rough, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it's just people were kind because I think they sort of saw enough potential and, you know, um, I guess the songs were sort of there enough that people were, and you know, you don't have to be the world's best singer, thankfully, to do it. But um, it took a while took a long time. Yeah. I'm amazed that it was uncomfortable for you. And oh, yeah. one of the things I'd love to dig into is why did you choose the uncomfortable thing? Because you said in your words, you're really comfortable being funny. Mm. And even now, like if you look at your YouTube channel, I mean, you've got YouTube videos <laughs> that have hundreds of thousands of views <laughs> that have nothing to do with nothing your music whatsoever. It's just, it's just you kids, being funny. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what was it early on in your mind? You thought, I'm really comfortable being funny. I'm really uncomfortable singing. Why did you sing? instead of tell jokes? God, that is a great question. Um, I think it is just so, it's, I'm so fascinated by it. You know, I think humor, you know, I just got through, I don't know if y'all knew this, I just got through doing um, stand-up shows. And I I'm think Kellen was more. there at your show. Yeah, I oh, was, you were. I was at oh, one of gosh. the city winery just shows. Be, be kind on the mic. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know, you know, I, I think it didn't feel like a choice. That feels really weird and like prophetic. But I really... When I started to do it, it was just too strong of a pull. I was just like, even if I look like an idiot doing this, I kind of have to do this. Like, I, I love, I'm so enamored by it and I'm so fascinated by it uh, with music and writing and singing that I was like, I just feel like this is what I got to do, you know? So um, that was a big, I think that was a big part of it. Um, was, and still is, honestly, it's just the fascination. You know, the music is so funny because you, you never best it. You're never better than it is. You're, you're never, mm -hmm. like, you can be as accomplished as you can be, and you're still going to write terrible songs. You can be the best guitar player in the world, and you're going to have a night where you're just not playing that well. And I think that's, uh, and the creation part of it especially, it's always hard. It's always challenging. Like, you talk to these masters who have, you know, Tom Waits and Paul Simon, these guys who've written for 50, 60 years, and they're still struggling to write songs. But Billy Joel hadn't written a song, I think, in like 20 years. You know what I mean? It's like, it's hard to do, and it's always hard to do. And there are days where you get those lightning strikes where you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I just wrote that in the time it takes to sing it. And then you have, you know, like Leonard Cohen, where it takes him a year to write a song. So it's, I think there's a fascination with that that's really incredible to me that like you can get really good at it and it's still really hard. Like it's not like woodworking where I think you could do it for ten years and suddenly like yeah I can crank a table out in You're a master an yeah. hour yeah it's like songs like I don't know man you know the wood <laughs> may work well with me today the knife may be dull it may be you know so it's a really interesting thing to me and I think it's fun to think about that as career because it means you're always engaged you know you're never better than the thing that you're creating you know what I mean mm. um, there's a real sort of co-existing of that that fascinates me you know that you don't 
it's never just easy. It's always a challenge, which I think is, it's funny. I've never thought about that. And that's a great question, but I do, you know, I, my wife, I don't know if you guys know the Enneagram stuff, but she's an eight, which is a challenger. Oh gosh. And, uh, We've got to do something about the Enneagram. <laughs> I yes, know. Podcast. I told you. <laughs> Literally every single person that sits where you're sitting. They talk about it. At some point in the interview, it comes up and they I'm go, obsessed. well, here's why I'm the way yeah, that I am. Yeah. It's because I'm a, and then they well, say, well, it's, it's, it's really true, but, but it's funny cause she's, she's, she's an eight, which is called the challenger, the boss. I'm an eight, so yeah. I understand ding, ding, ding. her. I get her. She's but I love it. I love that. I mean, I'm married a challenge. You know what I mean? I married this wonderful <laughs> sort of like, is she going to like that you said that she, oh, she'd laugh okay. and then she'd, she'd challenge me. Um, but, um, but there's something to me that really enjoys that. I like sort of the push and pull and the sort of like, you're just always engaged and you can't ever sort of like, even though I like to sit on my rear and do that thing, but you know, it's, it's, yeah. you know, you, you gotta be up for it. You know, do you think that's all art? Is that, is that just, is that the, the category that art lives in? It's something that you never master. I certainly think so. And and I really do. I've read so many interviews with, with painters. I mean, anybody. And I think, you know, what is the, uh, gosh, I think Da Vinci or Picasso, one of the great artists said, you know, no painting is ever finished. It's just abandoned, you know? And I think that's kind of true. Like you can always, that's the thing about those kind of creations, storytelling, writing, anything, you know, you can always tweak it. You can always add a line, take out a line, change a chord. And I think it's a really unique um, occupation that way. You know, it's like you just have to be okay with as far as you got it. And at some point you got to let it go. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's ne- it's probably never going to be something you're like, yeah, that is as good as that can be. Because then you think, well, what if Stevie Wonder was in the room? You'd be like, oh, he'd make it better. Or you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Or he'd make it different in a cool way. So I do think it's, I don't want to say it's particular to that, but I do think it's a, um, it's one of the characteristics of it for sure. So what has kept you from becoming a comedian then? Because I think from the outside looking in, watching your career, I, comedy is, I feel like something that you dabble in. It's yeah. almost like a hobby, <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting Witchcraft. about it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though you would probably consider it, maybe do you, is that what you, is that the word you would use a hobby? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay, but everyone else in the world is looking at you and your comedy <laughs> and saying, why is this still just a hobby? Yeah. So I just feel like there's like some deep internal yeah. wisdom related to self-identity that's, <laughs> well, that's a part of that conversation as to why you haven't embraced, I'm just going to I'm gonna go out and do a comedy tour. You know, honestly, I think early on I was really fearful that it would it would eclipse my music stuff. It was something I'd done longer. Like I had done the skits and the stand up or not stand up, but I'd just been in that world for so long doing that kind of stuff and being funny. And you know, humor is interesting because it's so different than music and that humor is, can be part of every moment of your life where music can't. So you can be really good at humor by the time you're 15 because you can be funny at five. And before you know it, you got your 10,000 hours by 15. You know what I mean? And so you can have really funny kids at 15, 16, 17. You're like, that kid is freaking hysterical. And they're not even out of high school yet. Where, where that does happen with music, but it's just music isn't as every day and every moment, you know? So so I think humor for me was one of those things that, you know, I kind of knew that that I could be funny or that people thought I was funny, you know, by when I was young. Not that young, but, you know, early 20s and college and that kind of stuff. And so for me, I love being funny. But it's, um, how do I say that? Um, I think I'm just used to it, so it's not quite as engaging, you know? Like Interesting. 
and where music is all like I said, it's just always it's always a thing. It's always a challenge. It's always it has me fully engaged. But last year, was, I was talking to my manager about it, and, and we've been talking about it as I get older, sort of my brand and music and you know comedy and stuff and humor. And uh, and we both thought you know it may be a good time to start doing these stand up shows more consistently because I did some about a decade ago that really fun, but we're literally just dipping my toe into it. And, um, and I think we both sort of realized like, this would be a good season to do that. You know, as I'm kind of getting older and my music thing is finally really established and I feel like it's its own thing and it really is standing on its own. Um, you know, the humor thing could be a fun thing to start really sort of building to and seeing sort of what happens with that. And so we, we've done these stand up shows. I'm doing two more this summer, uh, one in Chicago, one in Denver. And, um, and they are so much fun. And I think it's really fun, too, because I can enjoy them for what they are. I think, again, I was really nervous about that being said. Because, you know, I, I think I'm really good at music, but I'm not good enough at music where I'm one of those guys that I think if you sit in the room and hear Stevie Wonder play, you're like, you just need to do this all the time. Like, you could sit in the corner of an anthropology store and play, and before you know it, there'd be 5,000 people in the store. Like, what is going on? You know what I mean? Even if nobody knew who he was. And I do think I'm really good at music, and I love to do it, and, and you know, whatever. But humor to me is probably, like, I, I do think there's a, I, I have a humor thing that just works, and it and it's like, it's really natural, and it's just the way my brain works. I can't explain it, you know. I posted this thing on Instagram the other day uh, from Snapchat and it is so bizarre and weird and it's I've I've myself watched it probably 25 times which will tell you one thing but I showed it to my wife and if I can get my wife to laugh it is there's literally nothing better in the world so I came upstairs after I'd done it and I was crying laughing because I literally I was using all the filters and so I was crying laughing like I really had made myself laugh so I came upstairs and I showed it to her, and I was like, "This is gonna be this is gonna be a moment because she could either be like, oh, my God, Dave, it's, it's time to go back.' you know, or she could really start laughing, and she just started to lose it. And so we both sat there laughing in this thing, and she turned to me and she said, "I just don't know how you do this. Like, how does your brain do that?" And I was like, "Do what?" She goes like, "So how did you think to do those jokes? Like what? Like that voice?" And I was like, "I don't know. It just like I open my mouth, and it's the, it's just there, and it's in the ether before I know it's there, you know." And she was like, and it was just funny hearing her. Like she really was, you know, so fascinated again with that thing. And I think, you know, humor has that has that ability. I think to to sort of um, transcend and really, you know, the music does, but it's just such a different thing. And I think I, I've sort of always bridled that a little bit in my career because I just felt like I didn't want that to be something people like. We love the music, but oh my gosh, you're funny, you know. And it's like, <laughs> thanks, you know. But I think now having the successes I've had, whatever version of those I have, I feel like you know, I'm sort of like, okay, now I can sort of, you know, uncaged the beast a yeah. bit and see like, yeah, what happens and if that's a fun new thing. Dude, that, I'm excited about that. Know, yeah. I think we're often our own worst critics. Do you, oh, there's when, no doubt. When you walked off stage after that stand-up show, did you criticize yourself and like evaluate everything the way that you do with music? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But the, you know, I, I've learned to be gentle as I've gotten older. I think that has been an attribute that I've, I've, uh, I've tried to, uh, sort of be more disciplined in is, is just letting, you know, letting things be for what they are as opposed to sort of feeling like I got to nitpick things. But it's funny, like I, I watched those. So I did my first comedy show at City Winery of these four and we recorded it. Um, and I watched it and it was really interesting watching it, like just sort of like, you know, 
laughing at some parts going, oh, man, that was a total mess. But realizing it's really good and being gracious in that, not being like, you got to be the funniest guy that's ever walked the face of the earth or, you know. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was – thankfully, the, the bigger emotion – with all those four was just how I just had so much fun. I mean, I walked off and was like, man, that was really, really fun. You know, something to say for that. I think, yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Cause I think if I walked off and I was like, it has to be better then it'd be like, yeah, I probably don't even do this. You know, like this may kill me in the long run. You know? I had fun at the show. I was crying. I was laughing oh, like within the last two, in the first two minutes I was like crying laughing. Yeah. So, well, it was really, it was really, really fun. I mean, it really was, I forget, I think something, you know, kind of to your point uh, earlier I think I've underestimated the power of humor in a lot of ways like uh, you know just realizing that people laughter's a big deal and it's like it's so transcendent like it's so I had a couple people text me that were friends that came to the shows and you know one of them was like dude I just had the worst day like the worst day and it was so great to sit you know for an hour and just laugh and I was like god forget I think I, I, I don't give that enough credit sometimes and I was like, you know, that's a cool thing. It's a cool thing to be able to make people sometimes just forget for a little while in a really great way, you know, just to sort of take a breath from life and sit there and, you know, laugh and and sort of go back into life with a different sort of posture, you know? Totally. <clears throat> I remember back in the day, even though we had a lot of mutual friends, had never met, and my wife was watching these videos all the time and just hysterically laughing over in the corner, <laughs> like, what are you laughing at? I think it was the it was like the Valentine's Day yeah, videos yeah. or something like yeah. that. You're like doing the French thing or what? <laughs> Give us a taste of it. What, what, how do you say Valentine's? I don't even know. But I, don't, I don't even know what that is. Like people are like who? Like who? I'm like I, I don't know. I don't. It's like some weird. You know, somebody hit his head on something and yeah. then sort of has an accent. But what's interesting is I said, "Who is that guy?" She goes, "I think he's I think he's a musician." And I was like, "What what song?" She couldn't name one of your songs yet. It was just, she was watching your, it was like, you watch these videos and he's like, yeah, he's been putting them out like over and over. So I think that's really fascinating to me that she, like when she first discovered you on her own, mm -hmm. it was because of some mm -hmm. little, you know, comedy video that was yeah. going viral and she had yet to hear a single well, you know, song. That, I mean, that, that really is what, I, that, that we, I started to see that happen and truthfully, that was why I pulled that thing back really hard because I, I could feel the tremors of like, if I'm not careful and I'm really trying to be a musician, this could get interesting. Like it could be one of those people who are like, why don't you come to the college and do like your voices and stuff? No, not music. Just come do those things and we'll pay you this on it. And I was like, no, nah, but that's not what I do. So I had to really sort of like, much to a lot of people's sort of like, I think, uh, disappointment that I had to kind of go, yeah, it's just not, I can't do that. Is yet. it frustrating to you that that's the way our industry or not even our industry, our world often works? It's, it says like, oh, no, you can't, you can't be both those things. Mm -hmm. This is not how you build a brand, right? You know, so here's the thing that I think is fascinating. I've been thinking a lot about in the last few years is this thing about how we feel like we are owed each other's talents. Like this idea that like, if you're good at something, you owe that to me. So for example, let's say you meet a kid somewhere on one of your trips, you know, and this kid is sitting down playing guitar and he is phenomenal like there's no doubt this is one of the best guitar players you've ever seen he's like 17 right there's something i'll talk for myself there's something in me that is going to do this dude i need to get you to nashville and meet some people so that you can do this thing because you have this gift but what if he looks at me and says you know man you know what i really want to do i really want to be a youth pastor and it's like well you're wrong because you've been given this gift 
And and so the, the I think that the the most subliminal sort of like message that is happening there is that you owe me your gift, and the reason is it's because it makes me happy. Like I see this glimpse of God, right? Like this this talent that's so it it's kind of idolic in some ways. It's like you look at it and you go, oh, it makes me think of bigger things, and it transcends a lot of talent I know, which is pretty close to where God is up there, you know. And so I think it's a really fascinating. I think our kind of the worldly culture is that it's like when you meet a tall kid that can dunk when he's 15 what's the first thing you tell the kid you're like you gotta play basketball well no he doesn't he needs to do whatever god has made him to do my story has made me think a lot about that that's sort of like well you know what you should be doing and i mean i had a i had a friend of mine when i was you know 22 and just moved to nashville tell me he's like man you shouldn't be singing like you're a great writer but the singing thing just isn't and you know it was like well no i want to sing and it's like, well, yeah, but you're funny and you, you know, you should. And it's like, I think that thing is a really fascinating. It's a, it's a really interesting thing that I honestly think, especially Christendom just doesn't talk about, which is this idea that like, what is the thing that God gave you to do? Go do that thing. And yeah, you may be really good at something else, like transcendently good at something else. But if that's not what you want to do and God has given you to do, well, don't do it. Like do it so you can have fun doing it. But that's not who you are. You know what I mean? I think that's a really fascinating thing that is not, it's, it's, it is not relevant in our, I mean, sorry, it's not talked about at all in our culture. It's, it's a topic that's just nobody wants to talk. I don't know why. I think it's, again, it is fascinating. Yeah. It's like you look at LeBron and these athletes or you look at musicians and there really is this thing. People get so mad at LeBron, not because he's losing, but because he's not making them happy. You know what I mean? It's, I don't care about LeBron. They don't care if like winning is killing his family because he's going to be obsessed with basketball. No, no, no. It's about like, hey, man, win because it makes me happy. You know, sing good and play good tonight because then I leave and I feel great. You know, it's really interesting. And so I think navigating that, especially in the entertainment world, is really tricky because you have to really know yourself. You have to know like what is it that I feel really called to do, what makes me happy, what doesn't. And I think for me that was humor for a long time. It was like I love being funny. I love making people laugh, but that's not what I want to do yet. I have this other thing that I feel like God wants me to do, and it's really compelling to me. And so I had to navigate a lot of that early on, which was like, yeah, but man, what if you just did stand-up half the show? And then I was like, yeah, but that's not that's not what I want to do. You know what I mean? And it was, you know, a lot of people were really disappointed, and I thought they felt like, man, you're really, you got this thing, and you're just not, you know, using it or whatever. And I was like, well, you know, it's one way to see it, I guess. But But now it's fun to kind of be able to go, no, see, now is when, now it's the right time, and I can do it in a way that's fun and, and not have it sort of be tricky or hard or whatever, you know? I think, in general, the culture that we have built in America is kind of built on the back of this idea of our value as a person, in general, mm. and is is tied to how many followers we have, yeah. how good of a producer we are mm. of something, whether it's art or a widget in a factory. Mm. And I think that's that's kind of connected to what has become a culture of people who don't feel like they can do something just because they enjoy doing it. Yeah, that's right? a great word. I, I, I was reading something. I need to go back and study this. I think it was an Adweek magazine where they were studying the next generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot what they're calling them. It's not millennials, but there's something, whoever is after all the millennials. Uh, they were saying like even as middle schoolers, they're getting to the point where they feel like they have to have a side hustle. Wow. And so if they have like, you know, a few hundred followers on Instagram, they're like, how do I monetize that? Or how do I turn it into something? And so in many ways, we're commoditizing ourselves. We're, we're all becoming objectified. In many ways, we're now all objectifying ourselves. Mm. 
because everything's tied to consumerism yeah. and that sense of entitlement, I think, mm-hmm. of like, well, who's willing to give me money for this? Well, you know, it's it's really, th- that is the thing. I, I am so compelled. So I started this thing a few years ago called the Monday Night Music Club, and it was kind of this hang for artists. And and um, with no agenda, we would come together and, you know, there some nights it was 100 people, sometimes it was 15. But I had a friend of mine underwrite the food at a bank here in town, and we would hang 45 minutes. I'd have somebody kind of give like a little 15-minute TED Talk kind of vibe, and then another 45 minutes hanging. And the whole idea was just to sort of get people together. But one of the things that I really wanted them to understand, and I still feel so strongly about for the for my artist friends in Nashville, especially my younger ones, is that you, you don't owe anybody anything. Like... It is so important that you're attentive to what you feel and what you feel like, if, especially if you're a believer, what God is calling you to do. And I just want to encourage that because I think, you know, you talk about the side hustle, this whole feeling of like, I got to do this stuff. I got to produce. I got to have more, more of this, more of that, especially with talent, which I think really can quadruple that, which is like now I really have to produce because I have this thing apparently. is talking to those friends and going, hey, but you don't. You know, you don't like do what you know the Lord wants you to do, and from there, be married and have kids and be at home. Like, don't feel like you got to be rocking the mic every day of the year. I mean, that's what you want to do, and your family's down with it, and it's then that's great. But like, you know, that that that's something that I feel such a strong, strong pull toward is just being a voice in my friends' lives that's saying, you know, you don't owe me or anybody anything. You know, like do what you know you need to do and and then enjoy just being a human. You know what I mean? Like, because I think that's, it, it, to, to your point, it, that's a hard thing. You know, it's hard to not feel like you sort of got to, and I tell you what, I mean, that sermon this morning, I mean, the the futility of everything under the sun, you know, it's a real thing. I mean, you know, your work will be left to someone who will do a worse job with it. You know, you will be forgotten. And, and I think it's just really profound. I mean, he even talked about, I love this, Keller talked about how even the smartest philosophies of today, 100 years from now, will be laughed at. And everyone who thinks they're so profound now will literally be buffoons in two to 300 years. And so it's just this idea of like, you know, uh, being careful about the weight we put on our jobs or our thoughts of these things. Realize like, yeah, but it matters a lot to us probably in the moment, but in the long run, it's really not. <laughs> so how do we sort of, you know, live in presently and be attentive and sort of mindful of what we're supposed to be doing and not supposed to be doing, you know, which is tough. It's really hard, but it's good to think about, you know, because I think you can wake up 20 years down the road and go like, man, I have been serving this master that one, I hate and two, I don't want to do like I have something else I like doing more than this, but this is what I do, you know, so it's, it's tricky, you know? Yeah. I don't know how to transition. There's like so many other questions I want to ask you. And I'm like, this is so deep and meaningful and like rich. (laughs) I know. I I have other questions. Uh, But now that we made a joke about it, (laughs) Dave, what's your creative process like? (laughs) Well, you know, it's very apropos you ask. One of the reasons I was listening to that sermon, honestly, is I have just been so in my head writing for this new album. Like, I, you know, it's, it's kind of always the same in that, you know, I start to write a record and then a few songs in there'll be a song I'm like ooh that feels like the direction and so I'll kind of write around that and then I'll meet with Ed and I've done most of my records together and then I'll leave super discouraged because it'll be like yeah a fourth of the songs you think are good are good go write some more you know which is really great but it's hard you know um, what's interesting is that like every musician I've ever talked to shares that story yes 
Yeah. That's the so it's not, it's not just it's, you, it's, it's the, just art in general. Yeah, that, that's one of the things I love about living in Nashville is you can have this conversation most places any day of the week, which is really great to know you're not alone. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so, you know, I, I'll kind of have a direction, then write some songs, go in, we'll kind of pick the songs out of that batch we like, I'll go back, write some more, and then go back and we'll kind of have a record. But it is funny, the older that I've gotten writing and creating, because um, I'm more efficient, which is great, because you just, you know, it's like both you guys, as long as you do something, you're just better at it. And your, you know, your tastes get more refined, you know how to sort of make the thing better. But you're also, or sorry, I'm also more critical, which I, I'm not, I usually am not real hard on myself about really anything, but the older I've gotten, and I think this is one of the things about success. I mean, that's the trick of success is like, you know, you got to maintain it in your head. You know, you, you got that little guy in your brain going like, well, you going to let him down? You know, so, and it's kind of one of the first times that that's really messed with me. I think other records it's been around, but I think for whatever reason, this record, I've really felt this like real weight of like, this has to matter and this has to be really important or whatever, uh, or prove to people that I still got it if I ever had it. I'm so stupid. But, um, <laughs> and I've just really needed to like sort of let that go and sort of, you know, this morning was good on my run, just kind of being like, Lord, help me not to be like this. It's so miserable. It's so hard to create when you're scared. It's, it's really impossible to create anything really great when you're scared. You just can't do it. It's literally like trying to build a table with paint. You know what I mean? It's like you're just taking the wrong tools to the job. <laughs> you know, like I love that thing too. I've, I've thought about this a lot. And I think this is really true about creativity. That idea that like, you know, there's really two parts of create, creating. There's the creating and then the editing. And I think those two really have to be separate because they mess each other up really badly. You know, when you sort of, and I think for me, I'm, I had to remember this morning even because I've got a bunch of songs I've started and then I went in and met with Ed and he was like, let's change some stuff on these, go back and tweak them. And I literally realized this morning, you know what I'm doing wrong is I got to let the editing stuff, that can be for later. Right now I'm still creating. And if I'm trying to do both, it's just going to screw everything up because the parameters are wrong for each other you know so that's kind of where i am now but it's sort of the same every time you know it doesn't it gets more refined but it's sort of the same process i feel like you wait for inspiration to strike or you just sit down no i'm one of those guys it's like back there every day hacking away at something you know at a certain time every day do you have a routine um no you know the family's tricky because i i built a studio in my backyard which is the best thing ever and i love that but you know it's like um, you know, it depends on what time the kids are gone. Are they gone for the day? You know, does Annie need me to sort of help for a little while in the morning, which I try to do the best I can. So it's, it's a little tricky. But I think the good part of that, which is really funny, I've seen a lot of productivity. I, in fact, I heard somebody talk about this one. It's like if you know you only have two hours, you tend to be a lot more productive. And I think there's – somebody said this. I love this. They said uh, it usually takes the amount of time you have to write a song to write a song. It's called Parkinson's Law. Is it really? Yeah, at least, it, which is a very confusing name because uh, that's not what I think of. When I right, think of right, right, right. I, and I think I'm saying that correctly. I first discovered it in t one of Tim Ferriss's books, um, you know, who's like productivity yeah. guru, life yeah. hacker kind of guy. But he's, yeah, the basic idea of the law is that a task will consume the entire time scheduled yeah. and allotted yes. to it. So if I'm like, so hey, I need you, you need to write a song for me, you have one hour. Yeah. You'll take the full yeah. hour. If I'm like, you need to write a song for me, you have four days. Yeah, you're still going to write the same song in an hour. Yeah. It might be a little bit better if you have four days, yeah. but it's going to take you four yeah. days to write it. Right. I was going to call it the procrastinator's blessing. 
Which sounds like an amazing song. Part of the law procrastinates bless. Like old Cat Stevens. All right, so Dave Barnes, I want you to write a song for us. The title okay. is Procrastinator's Blessing. Yes, I'll have, come back. You have two minutes. It'll be on the harp. So oh. the harp here, so I can't quite. Yet. All songs about blessings are on yeah, the harp. Right. Thank you. And singing. <laughs> Oh my Crazy. gosh! I'm all not even a musician, and I know that. Yeah, you know that. I know that. It's a little. Like it's a ingrained into all of us. Yeah. So, has the writing process been different when it comes to comedy? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, you know, for me, it's really different. I think because, like, music, you can sit down and just sort of. Uh, I'm thinking real time out loud. I'm gonna be careful. I think this is true though. Music. I can sit down with a guitar, and even if I have no ideas, nothing that's compelling or interesting to me, I can play a chord, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that makes me feel interesting. And then I'll play it again, I'll play another chord, and it's like, oh, and then all of a sudden I'm starting to feel a certain way, and then certain lyrics come from that, and you have a song, kind of literally from nowhere. Humor to me is different, because it's like, when you, especially with stand-up, and I'm just now beginning all this, so obviously I have no expertise, but... It is interesting because I, you, I, you can't do that. I can't sit down and be like, what's funny? You know, <laughs> what do I want to talk about that's fun? It's like, you know, you have to sort of live a little bit to get material. And so I have this note on my, you know, my notes app that's just like stand-up ideas. But it's funny because I literally had this thought. It's a great question. I had this thought. I was like, you know, I can only do as much stand-up as I have material for. And I only have as much material for as I'm kind of living and gaining material. And so it's tricky because like in this season of life where there's a lot of things that are funny about kids, a lot of things about being married that are funny, a lot of things about, you know, like growing up and getting older, they're funny. You know, it's like I'm not out in the world like I was 15, 20 years ago, traveling, meeting people, seeing situations, having something funny happen to me at the airport. You know, life is much more consistent a little more mundane and and a lot of wonderful ways so it's not quite as easy to sort of have all this stuff to reference other than just sort of like your kid says something funny or he throws poop in your face and you're like that's pretty funny you know like (laughs) it's like it's a little different so it's it's i did have that thought the other day i was like i'll be interested sort of once i get done with this because i kind of have the show pretty tight now that i'm like i wonder what happens like if i'm doing this more next year do i just do the same show and or just like you know so I don't know. It's it's that that yeah. that's a different. That's very different to me, which mm-hmm. I hadn't never thought about before. You know. Yeah. What I loved about it, even though you say your life is a little more mundane, but I think it's very relatable. Mm. What your your comedy was, it was like, oh, this like this could happen to anyone. Yeah. So that's, that's I my hope. I mean, I think um, there's so many great quotes about that, but the stuff that the funniest stuff is what I mean is the relatable stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and every now and then you'll have somebody that's just funny to watch and listen to, and they're funny. But I think the stuff that really makes you laugh is because you're like. Yes, that happened yesterday. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that's tricky too, is because you don't want to you don't want to tell a story that's funny to you, and everybody's like, "Yeah, I don't know what it's like to hang out with Jay Z." So like, I'm sure this is funny to you, but like the fact that you like you know lit his face on fire, lighting a cigar, like yeah, that's funny. But like, it's only funny in like I'm watching you be funny way, not like oh Jay Z, we were smoking cigars together. And <laughs> So you, you think of something funny and you just jot it down in a notes app, like mm-hmm. literally the generic yeah. notes app on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. You don't have any fancy like structure or notebook system or No. Mm. I, I I did when I when I got these stand up shows ready, I did. I sort of got like I printed everything out and then I did like notes. It was the first time that I ever did the show, like I I paced in my studio doing the show. And and my brain is weird and I think I think this is probably pretty common with sort of like humorous people, but I how do I explain this? Like Annie said the other night, she's like, I don't know where you come up with this stuff. And I'm like, I don't either. And that's why it's funny to me. 
it's not funny to me because I knew what I was going to say. It's funny because I'm like, oh, I said, I'm watching it just like you are. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's as new to me as it is to you. So, so my humor is weird that way because so much of it is real time and it's just kind of stuff that's just coming out that when I started to run the show, I would have so much more material because I was just letting myself talk. And as I'd talk, I'd be like, oh, that's funny. And then I'd write that down. So it was good for me because I'd never done that. Like all the shows I'd ever done, I'd just get up and go. And I'd have kind of like a set list, if you will, of stuff. And I'd just kind of riff until the show was done. But this was the first one I was like, no, that's funny. I can't forget that. Like, so when I say this, remember the little thing about that and then pull that back. Okay. And it started to become like a real show, which was really my point. I, you know, I told a friend of mine, he was like, well, what are you hoping for with this? Which I thought was a great question. I was like, well, I want, I want, it, I want it to look and feel professional, one. Funny is assumed. And then, um, well, that was really it. I just, I wanted it to feel and look like if you didn't know better and you walked in, like, oh, this guy does this professionally. That was really my goal. Is it, you know, it, it didn't feel like. So, anyway. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So, the, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, the other day, you know. <laughs> well, because timing is so important to comedy. Do you yes. feel like timing is just something that, to use your verbiage, that humorous people innately have? Or is timing something that you learn? Both, for sure. I think it's like anything. I mean, it's like, um, yeah, I think it's both. You know, it's like you got it because you can miss it. Like you can be the funniest guy in the world and not time a joker. I mean, Seinfeld, you know, you watch the comedian uh, movie. That movie is such a great example of what you're asking. Like that idea of like, here's one of the funniest guys on the earth who bombs for ever getting the show together until it's funny because some of that he didn't know how to do the timing of it or what's funny about that thing, even though it's funny. I hadn't figured that out yet. So, you know. I do think, you know, I've thought about this a lot. This is the thing about comedy I think is really interesting. I think, um, I don't know how to say this yet, but I was talking to a friend about this the other day. Like, I think there's kind of a few different types of people that are funny. There's kind of like people, I don't know how to say, I don't know what I'd call these people, but they're like writers. So they're funny in how they can communicate what's funny about life. So like, I think Seinfeld's one of these. Like, he is funny, and I think if you sat and talked to him, he'd be funny. But if you gave him two hours to be funny, he's going to be really funny. And then there's people like Sinbad, who I just think, you put that guy in a room, he's going to be hysterical. Like Brian Regan. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just, (laughs) he's funny. It's like, he was probably funny when he was five. He's going to be funny when he's in 105. Seinfeld is funny, but he's prepared funny. You know, and so I think... I've kind of realized I'm not a prepared funny guy. I'm a much more just kind of, I just talk and sometimes it's funny. I don't really know what I'm saying. I just think something's funny and hey, I do a weird voice and nobody laughs. Like, I I don't, I'm not the guy who sits down and I have a really framework of what I know makes this joke funny. It's just the combination of the way I'm holding my hands up and I'm doing my head and I say a voice, you know, it's those kind of things. And so it has been funny to me because I think I started studying some of that world and I was like, yeah, I don't think like that. I'm not going to sit down and work on a joke. Like, I'm just going to get up there and see how it goes. And, oh, that worked. <laughs> Is that how the YouTube videos happened? You just turn on the camera? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a go. loose idea framework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, it literally until, I mean, this is really sort of amazing in a weird way. I mean, we didn't, every YouTube video I did until basically that, um, I think maybe, yeah, the cowboy videos I did, which was like last year, were unscripted. And we would have general ideas, and then it would just it'd be like roll, and then I just go. Um, and Jeff Dob- uh, hello Jeff Venable, who I've done a bunch of the videos with, we started to write them together with, with a guy named Seth Philpot, and those were the first ones that we really had like script for. Like we did these things called hymns for hymns for her. They were like a promo for the hymns for her thing. 
or hymns for him, I think is what we call And it was like we had those scripted, and it was so much fun because I didn't have to just rely on riffing, you know. Um, so really, until then, it was all like that. It was just kind of like, all right, here we go, be funny, and it was like, you know, which I can do, but um. But, you know, it's fun and to finally feel like, okay, great. I'm not having this sort of like. <laughs> totally. Because so, you miss it and it sucks. Yeah. You know, like everybody's in the room like, you know, <laughs> we, did, so we did this, we did this, Chris, uh, hello, we did this Christmas album promo three years ago and it was the first time we had had like Jeff brought his crew and there were numerous cameras and there was probably five, six people on, on, at this house, the set. And it was like, oh, shoot. This is not me and my manager on the camera anymore. This is like, and there was no script for it. We just had kind of like titles we're going to go with. And so I was having, I mean, a couple of them bombed, you know, and then a couple would be fun because everybody be, but it was funny because like even then people aren't really paying attention. I didn't know if it was funny or not, but then I have to look at Jeff and be like, that was unbelievable. Great. We're on, you know, so it was funny even in those moments going like, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'd watch it back with them and be like, oh, that was funny. Good. You know, like no clue if it's landing or not. Have you thought about writing like, comedy television or you know i have i i i yeah i have a friend who works out at nbc in la and i went and met with him actually a couple years ago with the comedy um uh division there which was awesome and they were kind of because of him they were kind of hip to what i was doing and it was a really interesting day for me because i was kind of like i don't know what i want from this i just feel like it's good due diligence sort of go meet with them um, and so, you know, there's still, there's still like we communicate and he's always kind of like, you got anything you're thinking of, but I just don't, I don't know. I'm like, I, I feel bad. Cause I'm like, I don't, there's just nothing there yet. There's nothing that I'm like, you know, oh yeah, look, I got this idea for a TV show. It's gonna be great. And two, I think sadly, again, to reference the Enneagram, the problem with my number as a seven is that I have no stick to itiveness. And so I know the last thing I want to do is go out there and be like, I've got this great idea. And it stars me <laughs> playing every character. And he's like, let's do it. And then it's like three shows in. I'm like, I don't like this anymore. <laughs> I want to do something else. You know, and he's like, well, you know, they bought a whole season of this, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know who should do it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so sevens have no stick to itiveness. Is that what we, I just heard just, you say? Is that a we're, word? We're kittens in a laser. That's what we are. It's just, you put it in a hole, you know, like until another laser, then we run to the other laser, you know? So we, we aren't very good at, um, at, uh, and it's all good intentions. It's not, it's not a, it's never, it's never bad. We just, it is hard for me to stay. I think that's why I love music so much is it's, I'm always interested. It's the thing that keeps me like even comedy. I, I really enjoy it, but I know at some point I'm going to be like, yeah, I can rest for a while from this, you know, and music thing. I'm like, no, I gotta keep making music. It's still fun. It's still, you know, fascinating. So in closing, there's a lot of artists and storytellers out there that are, they're like, yes, finally someone who understands my current struggle. I've got these two things and I love them both so much and I'm good at both of them and everyone keeps telling me I should do this, but I actually have way more fun doing this or I'm way happier doing this. What What is your your advice for those people? Man, what a great question. Uh, Maybe like you, they don't have a lot of stick-to-itiveness. Yeah. Um, I mean, that honestly, that filtered a lot of my opinion because I, I find myself going well you know i think the thing that keeps you interested is the thing to pay attention to you know what i mean but that's not i mean that's not always the right answer because it could be that like 
hey, man, you just shouldn't be doing this, even though you really think it's awesome. It's like me and soccer. I love soccer. I'm not bad at soccer, but I'm not great at soccer. You know what I mean? At some point, I got to come to the realization this is just going to be a fun little hobby. You know, like at 38, I'm not going to be like, Real Madrid signs Dave Barnes from Nashville, you know, uh, as a mascot. Uh, but um, uh, mascot and an ascot would be a great thing. I don't know what that is, but that's just a thought. Um, I think you should run with that. Thank you. You're thank welcome. You, thank you. Uh, he can't. He doesn't have any stick to it. Hey, so that was the end of that line. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I, I don't. That's a tough question, you know. But, but it, I think because I was burned by a couple of people early, like when I was starting music, who had like these opinions, you know, that were like, "Let me tell you what you should do." I'm always really careful about like trying to say this is something you should or shouldn't do because I think, man, you can just be so wrong with that sometimes, and it really affects people. Like it, it. It really hurt me when this guy was like, you shouldn't be doing this anymore. Because, you know, and I was just beginning. So it's kind of the worst timing for it. Or maybe the best timing for it, in his opinion. But, uh, uh, but you know, some of that stuff is really good fuel. But I, I'm just, I always find myself careful about that. Because I just feel like, man, I just would never want to be the part of somebody's story. It was like, and then Dave Barnes told me I couldn't. And now I'm the best at it in the world, you know. <laughs> um, so it's always tricky. But I do think there is wisdom in sort of, being still and listening to that thing, you know, for me, the Holy Spirit, but, you know, just kind of going like, am I doing this because I'm propelled by fear? Because that's a huge deal. Or am I doing this because I really love doing it and I'm at peace making decisions about it? Not am I trying to prove somebody wrong or am I, you know, too scared to do the thing I really want to do? You know, I think those things are good signposts but or guideposts, but the rest is kind of tricky, you know. I think it is, I mean, I, you know, music these days is a different landscape than it was even 15 years ago when I started, you know. So I, I usually try to deter people from doing it. <laughs> There's just, it's a tough gig these days, you know. I feel so thankful I started when I did, to be honest with you, I think these days. And it's still awesome, and it's that you can make a living and a great living, but it's just really different, you know. So I find a lot of people, I'm like, unless you can't not do it, then do something else, like find the other thing. But if it is what you're supposed to do, then absolutely do it. But it's a tough, it's a tough gig, you know. It's a different world than it was years ago. I think it's true of every medium. Yeah, you know, it ha- that's great. It happens to me. I have, I have teenagers who come up after my shows sometimes, and they're just like, "Can you give me some like career advice? Like, I'm getting ready to graduate high school. I don't want to go to college. I just want to become a professional, you know, magician or illusionist like you. And what's your advice for me?" And same kind of thing, like in the back of my head, I'm thinking like, is there anything else that you also like, you know, as much? Because I think it's just the creative life in general. The creative life is hard. And what's interesting is I've watched a lot of my musician friends kind of come into the world of the way variety artists have always had to live, which is the only way we make a living is going out and standing on a stage in front of people and entertaining them. Historically, you know, magicians, jugglers, ventriloquists, like... We don't, we don't get a lot of TV deals. We don't have a lot of like distribution of our art. And so therefore we just got to kind of go out and and earn a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And as the music industry has changed and transformed, I've watched a lot of musicians being like, man, it's just that area of my business is dried up and I've got to like go out and do shows or find another way to make a, make a living. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think it's tough, but yeah, I don't, I don't know know, what to say to those kids who come up and like, I want to be a magician when I grow up. (laughs) 
Boy, the times I've said that um, <laughs> lately. Uh, you know, I think the silver lining of that is this: is I had a friend of mine say this a few years ago, and I think this is really true. Um, you know, everybody's got to be slashers these days, like singer slash songwriter slash comedian slash whatever. Um, the good part of that is, is if you're creative, it's wonderful. Like if you're just a creative person. Um, it's kind of even better maybe because, you know, you think about the artists, um, you know, like Marty, is it Marty Stewart that's such a good photographer? Like just these guys and girls who have a creative gift set and yet it's manifested itself predominantly in whatever music or the painted medium or, you know, whatever. But they're really good at other things too and like really good at it. But it's just that whatever it was drew them to this or whatever. And and it's cool these days because you're really seeing creatives. You're seeing like, man, I didn't know he could do that. I didn't know she was good at this. Have you heard her sing? Have you heard him? Have you seen his paintings? You know, and what's great about today is it's sort of forcing everybody to out their other skill sets. Like these things that if it was 1950, you'd have just, it'd have been like, hey, you know, at his funeral, did you know Chuck painted? Here's some of his paintings. <laughs> you know, and, and everyone's now, like, what? Oh, what? Amazing. He's, I love his painting. Yeah. We miss you, Chuck. But um, <laughs> uh, then it was an illusion because he's not dead and he pops up and he sells all of them. But that's a different movie for a different day. But, um, but, um, but you know what I mean? I think there is a silver lining to it because I think if you can sort of swallow that bitter pill, you realize like, wow, like, like for me, I, lo- I really like the stand-up thing and I can do that now and it, I'm sort of being forced to in some ways because, you know, like music is changing and I'm, I'm a dad now. I can't be gone all the time. So there is a silver lining to it. There really is. I think it's making... And even within music, you're seeing guys and girls who are starting to produce and do like home studios or starting to play guitar and they never did before or like, you know, even within the these uh, mediums, you're seeing spe- specialization and the like across genre, like across your own little you know thing, uh, which is kind of cool. Like it's it's if if you can get there, you kind of start realizing like like a friend of mine said this guy named Emerson Hart, who's a lead singer in Tonic and um, an incredible artist too on his own, but. I remember asking him a few years ago, I was like, how are you navigating this new world? And he was a few years older than me. And he said, you know, David, look at it like I have four fires. I have my personal music, I have tonic, I have producing, and I have songwriting. And I just go to wherever the fire's the biggest at the time. I tend to that fire, and usually another fire starts by the time that one's getting a little smaller. And I was like, you know, that, that's that's a great way to think about that, you know, because he's good at all of them. So why not let all of them be a thing as opposed to feeling like, you just have this identity as one thing, you know? Um, so there is a good part. I think, you know, it's hard, it's harder and it's, you know, you got to specialize in different things, you know, more things, but it's doable. And it is, as a creative, it really is fun. If you can get there, if you can sort of like die that little death of going, I'm going to be known for this. It's like, no, you can actually be really great at a lot of things and see your brand really, you know, get so much wider and, and deeper, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. I could have talked to Dave for hours. I'm sure many of you could too. And as you can tell, he thinks deeply about things that really matter. And I have so much respect for him. If you've yet to discover his music, check it out. And if you haven't yet experienced his hilarious brand of comedy, Start by just watching some of his videos. You can check it all out on his website, DaveBarnes.com. That's Dave, B-A-R-N-E-S.com. Give him a shout out on socials while you're there. He's just at Dave Barnes. 
I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I'm genuinely grateful that you've taken the time to listen. Seriously, thank you so much for listening. If you've yet to subscribe to this podcast, please do so. And if I'm honest, consistently producing a great podcast every single week, it's a lot of work and it's made possible only by a whole team of people. But if you're enjoying that hard work, if you're enjoying our hard work, please take a moment to leave a rating or review on iTunes. It's a huge help to the word spreading about the creative community of storytellers we're building and serving. And as always, you can email me personally anytime. If you have questions, guest recommendations, or just any sort of feedback in general, good or bad, email me at harris at astoria.com. It's always very helpful to get that kind of feedback, again, whether it's good or bad. It's just harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, at historia.com, I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com. It's an honor to work hard to keep inspiring the meaningful work that you guys are doing around the world. And I cannot wait to talk to you next week. So what's one of your favorite things about living in Nashville? Um, I have a lot of favorite things about living in Nashville. I think one of my favorite things is the unexpected... um, uh, interactions you have <laughs> with some of your idols and what that breeds. Can you tell us a story? Oh, can I? <laughs> um, <laughs> so is, I'm sitting. To hear the rest of the story and get additional creative inspiration, visit storygatherings.com slash podcast. This episode was produced by Harris the Third. It was mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and music was written by Aaron Farmer. The Story Podcast is a production of Astoria Collective. Thank you for listening.